Amen. Would you turn with me to the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Mark. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and share the feed so that others can be ministered to. You never know who's searching, who all of a sudden hears a word from God that changes their life. Mark chapter number five, I'm beginning in verse number 22. I think, I think, I think this might be a two week sermon. Matter of fact, um, I had like five or six points and uh, I decided to just preach the introduction. And leave the points maybe for next week. I don't know if God wants me to come back to it. I will. I'm ready to do it if he gives me the okay. But for now, Mark chapter 5, verse number 22. The Bible says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, the hands that heal the hands that do miracles. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... In the original language, it says, and when she heard about the Jesus, not just Jesus, but the, the definitive, the one and only, has no imitation, the Jesus. When she heard about the Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment for she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. The great exchange. When we touch Jesus, he gets our junk and we get all of his goodness, right? And Jesus immediately felt in himself that power had gone out of him. Turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Can can you imagine being one of the stupid disciples at that moment? They're like, if Jesus says something, just go with it, bro. Like, why are you trying to correct the man? You know, every time you try to correct the man, he makes you look stupid. But yet they're like, I can't believe he's saying, who touched me? But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. All the men know that was a long story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Today, I want to talk to you from the subject of endurance. And I've entitled this message, the woman I call Rocky. The woman I call Rocky. He made his way back into the message again this week. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your power, by your grace, And with your anointing to the hearts of each person, in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. As we come to the text, we find a prominent man by the name of Jairus. He is the ruler of the synagogue. Therefore, he is in charge of enforcing the law of Moses. As an aside here, he was in charge of making sure anybody that was unclean stayed quarantined. And so this woman who was out, he had the ability to put to death. It's amazing how in the middle of your miracle, God will give you an opportunity to sow a seed in order to receive your miracle. Oftentimes, our miracles are attached to our seeds of obedience that we sow. 
This man had the opportunity to take this woman and have her killed for venturing out while she was unclean, but instead he sowed the seed of kindness and mercy, and that's what he reaped back in his life. But that's a message for another day. And so this man comes to Jesus. He's in desperate need because his child is at the point of death. And because of his need, he breaks with tradition and political correctness, and he risks his reputation as a ruler of the synagogue to come unashamedly to Jesus, who is considered an outcast by the social caste system of his day. Nevertheless, he comes to Jesus for help, perhaps proving the age-old adage which says there are no atheists in a foxhole. Seems like the tragedies that the enemy sends into our lives in order to inflict pain on our lives have this funny way of turning us and pushing us toward the God who created us. But that is also a message for another day. Jairus comes to Jesus and he pleads, he begs, he urges Jesus, come quickly and heal my daughter who is knocking on death's door. This is an urgent, time-sensitive request. Jesus agrees. Now, we must take note that the reason why Jairus comes to Jesus is because he has least, at least heard about and perhaps even saw the many miracles that Jesus was doing. He didn't come to Jesus necessarily because he believed Jesus was the Messiah. It wasn't that that intrigued him to come and humble himself before the Lord, but rather it was his problem or the problem of his child that was in need of a miracle that forced him to go before the feet of Jesus. And not only did Jairus get... Jesus' attention or come to Jesus because Jesus got Jairus' attention by the miracles. But the miracles also drew this great crowd, the scripture says, of people that were thronging him. And literally in the original language, this means crushing him like a grape. Imagine what, this is just a little taste of the things that Jesus would go through and has gone through in order to bring us everything that he purchased for us on the cross. He was willing to be crushed, in this case, very literally on the cross so that we could be made right with God. So they're thronging Jesus. And you can imagine the word on the street, Jesus, the miracle worker is coming to town. You can imagine all those that are following him. They're following him not because they only want to see the miracles, but they're following him perhaps because they themselves needed miracles. You can imagine the people in the crowd that were coming to Jesus that also brought their loved ones with them. Let's go. We got to go. We got to go here. Jesus, the miracle worker, he's here. Everybody is talking about Jesus and his miraculous ability. And sometimes I wonder, I wish the church was that excited about the miraculous power of Jesus as this crowd was. Nevertheless, Jairus' daughter's in need of an expeditious miracle. Jesus is on the way. The crowd is thronging him. Jairus is concerned. He's overwhelmed. He's racing against time. He's wrestling with the crowd. Please make way. Please, please, please don't slow us down. Please, please get out of the way. Please hurry. Come on, Jesus. Why are you going so slow? Jesus, can you pick it up a little bit? Jesus, can you run a little bit faster? Come on, get, get out of the way. Come on, please make a way. My child needs Jesus. And into this already urgent set of circumstance comes another influencing factor that seemingly slows down the progress of Jesus toward Jairus' home. I will preach perhaps next week on, on this slowdown because slowdowns are often setups. Sometimes we're going too fast in order to receive what God has for us. So sometimes he needs to slow us down. But into this set of seemingly very, very time-sensitive circumstances comes another influencing factor that slows down the progress of Jesus toward Jairus' house. A woman, and the Bible says a certain woman, 
She's unnamed. She hears the noise about this Jesus, this miracle worker, this water walker, this, this, this blind man healer, this leper cleansing man from Galilee. And she decides to, to make her way through the crowd to get to him. She's in her mind saying, I gotta touch him. I, I don't care if he touches me, but as long as I touch him, everything will be all right. I wish I could tell you the woman's name, but she has no name. Her name is not given to her. And perhaps appropriately so because she is identified by her struggle, which has been not for a minute, not for a season, not for a few months, but for 12 long years. She's identified by her struggle. There are some of you who are watching right now, maybe a few of you that are here right now, and maybe you've gone through a long battle. Maybe you're in the middle of a journey, and and that battle seems to overshadow even our identity. We become identified with the battle. The problem becomes the thing that we associate with, with. I'm talking to some people right now where you have had a long battle. Your battle has defined everything, defined your day, defined your future, defined your family, find your hobbies, your expectations, your dreams, and even your thoughts. But here's what I, I believe God wants to say to you, that in God's eyes, you still have a name, that God still sees you as his child, and your problem is not your identity, but who you are in Christ still remains your identity. You are an overcomer. You still are the apple of God's eye, and God has an urgency greater than the urgency of Jairus on his way to his daughter to let you know how much he still loves you. They're going. They're going quick. She's identified. This woman swallowed up by her identity. Because that's the way it was in that culture. If you had an issue of blood, you were commanded to be quarantined. Because you were viewed as unclean and infectious. Quarantines are not just new for today. They even happened in Jesus' time. If you had this issue, if you were a leper, you had to be quarantined because you were considered to be unclean and infectious. A short-term quarantine, as we all know, might be okay. But 12 long years begins to mess with your mind. And this woman, if you read the text in the original language, as it says, she suffers. It's not just talking about her physical suffering. But when you've been in a battle for a long period of time, it begins to play with your mind. And she is an emotional wreck. In this culture, if you had this problem, here's what it meant. It meant that if you were married, you could not have contact with your spouse for 12 years. If she had kids, she couldn't kiss their cheek. She couldn't rock them to sleep. She couldn't wipe dirt from their knees. She couldn't get them dressed in the morning. She couldn't pack their lunch or sit at their soccer games. She was quarantined from community, isolated, and left all by herself. Her situation was severe. It might not have been as important to Jairus, but it was important to her. Her physical health was taken from her. Her family and all that entails was taken from her. Her finances taken from her. For the text, it says she suffered many things of many physicians, spent all the money that she had. Her life is a shell of what she remembered it to be. The text even says that with all the money and all the doctors, she didn't get better, but rather she grew worse. Twelve years, not five months. 12 years of no progress, 12 years of no money, 12 years of no family, 12 years of no touch, 12 years of no hope, 12 years of suffering, 12 years of emotional ups and downs, but more downs than ups, 12 years of praying and nothing, believing and nothing. 
standing on the word and nothing. I said it last week, but let me say it again. When you are down to nothing, God is always up to something. Her situation may not have been urgent to Jairus, but it was urgent to her. And it was important to Jesus. And in the text, we find a convergence of these two stories. In the text, we find that more than one thing is going on at the same time. And I came to remind somebody today that there are always two stories that are being scripted at the same time in our lives. Two stories being written. Two epistles being penned. One already written by heaven. The other trying to interrupt its narrative and being penned by hell. But let me encourage you in my introduction. Don't lose faith in heaven's story. Jesus is still the author and the finisher of our faith. His pen has the most authority in all of our lives. And the story that he has written is a story that has a hope and a future for every single one of us. Let's not lose faith in Jesus' story. He is the ultimate story writer. This woman is in this city. She's a long way from her quarantine quarters. She's not seeking Jesus out. But she's seeking out more medical attention. The fact that she heard the noise from the crowd about the Jesus, the miracle worker, from her perspective was pure coincidence. She was not there for Jesus, but yet Jesus still found her. Let me, let me say it again. She wasn't there for Jesus. She was there for medical attention. And though, even though she was there for one reason, that was still the coincidence at which God arranged for her to encounter the Christ. I told you that you still have a name to God. I told you that no matter what you're going through, God still has you on your radar. He is still the master of every matter that we are going through. Jesus is her coincidence I want to take a praise break for just a moment and I want to thank God for being the coincidence in my life that even when we're not looking for him he still finds us that we even when we're not listening for him we still hear that word that is spoken in due season I want to thank God for being the coincidence that even though I wasn't intending to go his way that he was still ordering my steps to come his way I want to thank God that even when I don't need a word or think I need a word that God still speaks that word that sends shivers through my soul that God knows how to speak to my situation God knows how to allow me to overhear something that I need even when God is not even on my radar. I'm still on God's radar. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to thank God that he doesn't mind being the coincidence in our life. God, when I thought about this, I thought about this woman. Despite everything that she's been through, she is still searching I love this woman, and I've given her a nickname. I call her Rocky. There's a scripture that reminded me of all this. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. It said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happened to them all. When I thought about this, I thought about Rocky. I can't get Rocky off of my mind lately. He's just, I mean, I preached about him last week. I'm preaching about him. You know, he's saved, by the way. Do you know he gave his life to the Lord, by the way, publicly? And when I thought about this, I thought, you know what? Apollo Creed was faster than Rocky. 
Clubber Lang was stronger than Rocky. Drago was taller, faster, and stronger. But here's the thing. Rocky beat them all. And he beat them all because he had the queen virtue of victory working for him in his life. And that was that Rocky had endurance. He wasn't faster. The race is not to the swift. He wasn't stronger. The race is not to the strong. He wasn't wiser. The race is not to the wise. He didn't have more riches. The race is not to the rich. He didn't have more favor. The favor is not to those uh, that, that of, of skill. But Rocky had something that nobody else had in equal proportion to him. Rocky refused to stay down when Rocky got knocked down. And oftentimes when Rocky got back up on his feet, the shock on the face of his enemies that he was still standing. I came here to tell somebody today, shock the enemy and get back up on your feet. Let him go. I can't believe he's still walking. Rocky got up. And when I think about this woman, I think... 12 years of suffering, emotionally and physically. 12 years of being separated from her family, kids and loved ones. 12 years of doctors and nothing. 12 years of draining her bank account and nothing. 12 years of being viewed as unclean and nothing. 12 years of closed doors and disappointment and being knocked down. And she is still in another city looking for help. She's Rocky. She's got what Rocky had. She is a woman of endurance. She has got the queen virtue of victory working in her life. What is endurance? It's a word that is used over and over in the Bible, but it's not, it's often not translated endurance. For instance, in Hebrews chapter six, verse number 12, it says, do not become sluggish. Do not, one version says, become slothful. Y'all see that commercial with the sloth doing Pictionary? You see that commercial? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's got the pen, and 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 he's trying to, you know, you you timed. You have to draw it quick, and the sloth is just, he's not even making any movement on the page, even though he's trying to write. Do not be slothful, sluggish, but imitate, mimic those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. The word is translated patience, but in the Greek, it would be better translated endurance. It is the opposite of sluggish or slothful. Slothful in scripture is not just slow moving, but rather it describes someone or something that has become neutral in their heart. They have lost their zeal. They have lost their fight. They have lost their getty up and they have relinquished their life to whatever will be, will be. And the text says, do not be slothful, but rather follow them who through faith and patience inherit the promise of God. Endurance would be best translated as staying power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Paul gives us a picture of staying power. He says, hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, staying power. Perplexed, but not in despair, staying power. Persecuted, but not abandoned, staying power. Struck down, but not destroyed, staying power. Staying power is somebody who refuses to stop believing God as long as they have life and breath on the inside of them. This woman is who I call Rocky because she had endurance. Interestingly enough, all throughout the scripture, there is this power team Faith and patience. 
And, and, and the Bible often talks about them in the same breath and in the same sentence. Matter of fact, look at the text again. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Not just faith and not just patience. Not just faith, but faith and staying power. And this combination is a powerful combination when you study it in the original language because interestingly enough, the word faith in the original language is given a masculine uh, 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 kind of twist to it. It's a, either a masculine noun in many cases. And, and, and it's masculine, and I don't know how they come up with this stuff, but if you look it up in your concordance and everything, it'll say, you know, MSQ, masculine, or however they abbreviate that. And, and the reason why is because faith is out in front. Faith is the thing that we see or we don't see in somebody's life. And so whenever the Bible talks about faith, it talks about like the shield of faith. Out in front, you hold your shield. It talks about the fight of faith, aggressive. It talks about the confession of faith, what comes out of you. Everything that can be seen. Faith is a very masculine term in the Bible. But then you have patience. And although faith is manly, patience in the original language is feminine. It's it's girly. Patience is a thing that doesn't make a lot of noise. You can't be seen like the speed of Apollo. It, It can't be... Uh, uh, seen like the strength of Clubber Lang. It can't be seen like the height of Drago. But it's constant and it's always there. It never moves. It's not going anywhere. It's in it for the long haul and it is the difference maker. Faith is masculine and patience is feminine. Now I say, Pastor, why would you make a big deal about one thing being masculine and one thing being feminine? Especially why would you go there in a culture which could criticize you for calling something fe- feminine and something masculine? You know what I say to the cancel culture? That's a beep out for what I really wanted to say. The reason why I would say that or I make a big point about this is because just like a man cannot produce life by himself, just like a woman cannot produce life by herself. Pastor, I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You need a man and a woman to produce life. You can't get life with just a man. You can't get life with just a woman. But they both need to work together. They both need to become intertwined with one another in order to produce life. What is this telling us when it says faith and patience? It's telling us that in order to get the life of the promises of God, we need more than just an expectation that God will do what he said he's going to do. We need staying power. We need to learn how to stand even when the ground is shaky, even when the situation does not look like it's going to turn around. In order to get the promises of God, You need both in your life. Faith and patience. This woman had them both. That's why I call her Rocky. She was Rocky before there was a Rocky. She refused to give up. And eventually she got what she was believing God for. What am I saying to you? What is God's word to you today? Church, don't give up. Church, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. She waited 12 years. Joseph. How many say, oh, I would love to be Joseph. I would love for God to use me like Joseph. He waited 13 years. 
I would love to be called the father of faith like Abraham. He waited 25 years. I would love to part the Red Seas like Moses. He waited 40 years. I would love to be, be go down in history like Jesus. He waited 30 years. I'm not telling you to expect your miracle to take a long time. I'm just telling you, don't give up on your miracle. Have some staying power. Staying power. Maybe you heard of him. His name is Chuck Yeager. He's credited as the first man to ever break the sound barrier. Others had tried and failed primarily because as the aircraft approached the sound barrier, the aircraft would begin to experience tremendous pressure and it would begin to shake violently. So it appeared as though the aircraft was going to explode. So previous pilots in fear of dying would pull back. How many times do we pull back in fear of the circumstances. But Jaeger didn't pull back. Facing the violent shaking and the possibility of the aircraft imploding, Jaeger pushed forward and he experienced the absolute glory of what's called the sonic boom. Went bam, this big crack, and then he launched past the sound barrier into what was the smoothest flight that anybody could ever experience. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, don't pull back, but push forward. When you push forward, you go from shaky to that period of time that is smooth in your life. But do you have the staying power to push when everything starts rattling around you? Maybe you heard of her. Her name is Paula Dean. She was divorced in 1989 from her first husband. And she was left with $200 and two sons. It seemed like she was destined for perpetual heartache. It seemed like life had defeated her. But she could cook. And so she started a catering business called The Bag Lady. And she would make these sandwiches and she put them in a brown paper bag and she'd give them to the boys. She'd take them down to the local Places where people are working. And she would sell her little lunches there. But she would never deliver the sandwiches herself because she had agoraphobia. And the reason why she had agoraphobia is because she was mugged at gunpoint at one point in her life. So she would never, ever leave her house. But after she began to do this, the business began to grow. And it grew into a restaurant called The Lady and Sons. And she published a cookbook. And then she got some national attention. And then she went on Oprah. Why? Because she refused to give up. His name was Steve Jobs. He started Apple at the age of 20 in his garage. Him and his friend had grew to a $2 billion company, 4,000 employees. At 30, he was fired from the company after losing a heated exchange over control with the then Apple CEO, John Scully, who Jobs hired and recruited from Pepsi. And here is what he said about this low point in his life. He said, you've probably had someone punch you in the stomach and it knocks the wind out of you And you cannot breathe. And the harder you try to breathe, the more you cannot breathe. And you know that the only thing you can do is just relax. So you can start breathing again. Well, jobs begin to breathe. And he started two new companies, one called Next and the other called Pixar. And of course, Pixar became famous as the first computer to to produce the first computer animated film, Toy Stories. And Jobs became an instant billionaire, recalling the heartbreaking episode. Listen to what he said. He said, I didn't see it then. But it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of becoming a beginner again. Less sure about everything, it freed me to enter one of the most 
creative periods in my life. And then they did a movie about him. He endured. History is replete with people that endured. Rosa Parks, she endured. She sat where they said she couldn't sit. And because she sat where she couldn't sit, she sparked something that needed change in our nation, in our world. People that had the ability to endure. Jackie Robinson had the ability to endure baseballs being thrown at his head, being cursed at and being run off the road and all that kind of stuff. And MLK and all these people that had endurance. They may or may not. Some of them probably were been believers. Most of them were just ordinary people like you and me but they had the ability to bounce back but you you're a child of God you have bounced back you have staying power in your DNA Psalm 92 verse 19 says it this way but the godly will flourish like the palm tree God could have said that we would flourish like the mighty oak tree or like the pine tree But he said that we would flourish like the palm tree. Why did God say the palm tree? Because if you've ever seen a palm tree in a hurricane, in a hurricane, that palm tree will move over like four or five feet and be bent down like this. After the hurricane's over, you look around and you see that the mighty oak is laying on the ground. And you see the pine tree uprooted from the roots. But the palm tree just springs right back again. Here's what God is trying to tell you. You are a child of God. That means you have staying power and bounce back in your DNA. So don't stay down. Get up. God's word to you today is a simple one. Stay in faith. God hasn't forgotten you. Breakthrough is ahead of you. Better things are coming your way. Today is a test, but tomorrow is a triumph. The rest of your days will be the best of your days. You might be limping now, but you'll be leaping tomorrow. Sorrow may enjoy for a night, endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Today the enemy may have come against you one way, but tomorrow he'll flee before you seven ways. Remember the word of the Lord. Let us not hold fast. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith, for he is faithful that promised God's word to you today is simple I didn't even have any points today God said I just got one point staying power endurance the race is not to the swift it's not to the strong it's not to the wise it's not to those who have more favor than other people here's what I believe makes all the difference in the world It's those that have staying power rooted and grounded in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. We have the greatest example of staying power ever. It's not all the people that I mentioned. It's not any of them. The greatest example of staying power was Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who on the cross was mocked who on the cross was chided, if you are the son of God, save yourself. But he stayed there. Why? The cords of love held him there. The bonds that held him there were bonds that were stronger than anything that you and I could ever latch on to. They were his love for you and I. And they caused him to operate in this spiritual gift, if you will, staying power. He stayed on that cross so that you and I could go to heaven, so that you and I can escape hell. And maybe you're watching today, 
And maybe you don't know where you stand with Jesus Christ. I want you to know he loves you. He died for your sins. And all you need to do in order to receive forgiveness and have eternal life is to invite him to be your savior. If that's you right where you are, I want to lead you in this prayer right now. Say this right in your home, right in your living room, right in your kitchen, right in your bedroom, right in a hotel room, wherever you are. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I really want to encourage you with everything that is in me to just let us know about it. There's a little button. If you're watching church online, click it. It says, I raise my hand. We'll reach out to you. If you're watching on some other medium, write it in the chat. Jesus will reach out to you. We want you to know that Jesus loves you more than you'll ever know.